Good to be back together tonight. Appreciate this. Another opportunity we have to spend in worship. Appreciate Benny leading us in singing, stepping in for Seth today. Done such a good job with that. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and this evening we're going to be looking at the first three verses of that chapter. Ephesians chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 3, if you want to join me there as we continue to walk throughout this beautiful letter of Ephesians, the letter that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. We're ready for Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I came across a uh, Peanuts cartoon where Linus and Lucy were watching a television show. Lucy came in, she's usually bossy in the cartoons, right? So she came in and said, I want you to change the channel right now. And Linus said, what do you mean? What, what gives you the right to come in and tell me to change the channel? I'm, I'm watching this show. She said, these five fingers. That was her answer. These five fingers, individually they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. So after Linus changed the channel to what she wanted to watch, on the next slide he looked at his hand and said, why can't you guys get organized like that? Wondering why, why his hand couldn't do that. I think you know, that's a pretty funny cartoon. I, I like to read the Peanuts cartoon. Maybe you do too. But I think that one specifically brings out a pretty powerful point on the next slide. The point that as Christians, we have a need for unity. We need unity because without it, we can't do anything. Without it, we are nothing. Just like Lucy looking at her hand and saying, individually, these five fingers can't do anything. If we're standing on our own, if we're standing individually, if we're standing separated from our Christian community, then we are nothing and we can do nothing. As Christians, we have a need for unity because of what we can't do without it and what we can do with it. As the church, we can only function in the way that we've been designed to function. We can only do what God desires us to do when we stand in unity with one another. As Christians, we have a need for unity, not just because of what we can't do without it and what we can do with it. We also have a need for unity because sometimes we don't have it. Think about the fighting. Think about the bickering. The grudges, the hard feelings that have existed in the church and continue to exist in the church. Think about how congregations have split, sometimes over very silly matters. Think about people who have walked out of those doors and have never came back because of a problem with unity. As Christians, we have a need for unity. We need unity because of what we can't do without it. We need unity because of what we can do with it. We need unity because sometimes we don't have it. It makes me think about what Jesus prayed for in John the 17th chapter, verses 20 and 21. You remember that prayer where just hours before Jesus goes through His final suffering, just hours before He's nailed on the cross, what did He pray for? That all who believe in Me may be one. 
as you and I, Father, are one, that they may be one in us. Unity is important. Unity is something that we need as followers of Jesus, as members of the body of Christ. And I believe when we look in these first few verses in Ephesians 4, Paul helps us to fill that need. Paul tells us what we need to know, what we need to do in order to maintain unity with one another. On the next slide, as we studied together last week, we finished up Ephesians chapter 3. So I think this would be a good place to remind us of the structure of the book of Ephesians. You've heard me mention this a couple of different times. But when you look at the structure of Ephesians, the first half of the letter, the first three chapters are very doctrinal in nature. In chapters 1, chapter 2, and in chapter 3, we saw Paul communicate a lot of ideas, a lot of concepts. He taught us a lot about what it means to be in Christ, what it means to live inside of Jesus as opposed to living outside of Jesus. If we'll click one more time, the last three chapters are not like that. While the first three chapters of Ephesians are very doctrinal in nature, the last three chapters of Ephesians are very practical in nature. What Paul basically says is, okay, here's the information in the first three chapters. Now here's what you do for it, do with it in chapters four through six. Here's how that impacts the decisions you make on a daily basis. Here's how that impacts the way that you're supposed to live as a follower of Jesus. You notice in Ephesians chapter four and verse one the word therefore. What Paul does is he presents all of these ideas, all of these concepts in the first three chapters, and then he says, therefore, that's the turning point, therefore, here's what you do with that information. So if we look at that on the next slide, just a little bit more specific. In chapters 1 through 3, one of the main themes that Paul talks about is how God has established unity in the church. How God has created unity among believers, especially when you look at Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 19. Paul talks about how Jew and Gentile have been brought into the same body, how two different people have been made into one man, emphasizing unity there, whether they were near, whether they were far. Paul says they have both been brought near by the precious blood of our Lord Jesus. They've received the same gift of salvation. They have access to the same spiritual blessings available in Christ. So the first three chapters talk about how God has established, how God has created unity in the church. That's not something that we do. We don't create unity. We don't establish unity. That's something that God does. When God adds me to the church upon my obedience to the gospel, and when God adds you to the church as a result of your obedience to the gospel, we are default in unity with one another. God creates that oneness. God organizes that unity. But then, on, if we click one more time, in chapter 4, verses 1-6, through six, Paul goes on to talk about how we maintain this unity. How we maintain the unity that God has created, that God has established in the church that belongs to Him. So when we look at chapters chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 on the next slide, we can divide it into really two different parts. The first part, if we'll click one more time, is unity in action. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. If we're going to maintain unity, the unity that God has established among us as believers, then we have to have unity in action. There are some things that we have to do. There are some attitudes that we have to have. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And then if we'll click one more time next week when we come back together following our 
chili lunch next week. Looking forward to that when we're going to be able to have trunk or treat uh, following. We're going to talk about unity and doctrine. How as Christians, if we're going to maintain unity in the church, unity in doctrine, being one in teaching, us speaking the same thing is very important. So let's go to the next slide and let's talk about having unity in action. If we're going to maintain this unity that God has established in His church, then we must have unity in action. Well, in order to have unity in action, number one, according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, we each have to walk worthy. Paul says this in the first verse of Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, the ESV says. That Greek word for urge could also mean to encourage or to exhort. It could even be as strong to mean, I'm begging you to do this. It's like Paul is down on his knees. He's begging the Ephesians to do something. Well, what is he begging them to do? What is he urging them to do? Here's what he says. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Let's start by talking about that calling. What is the calling that Paul refers to there? The calling by which the Ephesians had been called. Is Paul telling us there that this is something miraculous? This is something supernatural that maybe God has whispered into the ear of the Christians at Ephesus saying, come follow me. I want you to be a part of my church. Maybe he called them on the telephone. Maybe he sent them a text message. Maybe he gave them some kind of warm, special feeling inside of their hearts where they knew that they needed to follow him. That last one is the way that the religious world oftentimes thinks about God's calling. If we go to the next slide, I think 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 14 is really helpful with this. Where Paul says, to this he called you, how? Through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, how does God call people? It's not miraculous. It's not supernatural. It's not some kind of subjective feeling that we feel in our hearts. Paul says that God calls us through the Gospel. God calls us through the preaching of the good news. Whenever we hear the good news of Jesus proclaimed, whenever we sit down with our Bibles and we read the good news that God has delivered to us, what God is doing is He is calling us to be the people He wants us to be. He's calling us to live the lives that He wants us to live. And so if we go to the next slide, He says we need to walk worthy. In other words, Walk in a way, live in a way that you're deserving of this calling that you've received. That how God has called you through the Gospel. How God has called you through the good news. Paul actually uses that phrase, walk worthy, in a few different places in his writings. If we click once in Philippians 1 and verse 27, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the Gospel of Christ. We click again, Colossians 1 and verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. And then again, 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 11 and 12, walk in a manner that is worthy of God, who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. So we see this from Paul a few different times. Walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Walk worthy of the Lord. Walk worthy of God. In Ephesians 4 and verse 1, walk worthy of of this calling. You've been called through the Gospel. You've heard the good news about Jesus. You've responded to it. Now walk in a way that is worthy of it. 
What does Paul mean by that? Are we ever going to be completely worthy of the gospel? The message that we've heard? Or are we ever going to be fully deserving of that? Is this something that we're supposed to earn or merit by our own good works? When you go to Romans 3.23, Paul says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Back in Romans 3 and verse 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. 1 John 1 and verse 10, if we say we have no sin, we make God to be a liar. And His truth, His Word, is not in us. I sin. Don't you? Whenever I look at my life, whenever I look at the decisions that I make, I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving of this calling that I've received from God. And I don't think that Paul is is calling us to be perfect. I don't think Paul is calling us here to to be working in such a way that I earn this by my own good works. What Paul is saying here in verse 1 is that this should be your goal. This should be what you work towards every day. Do we fall short of it? Of course we do. Is God willing to forgive us when we do? Of course. If, if we're walking in the light, we'll see in just a minute, in 1 John chapter 1, His blood cleanses us from all sin. What Paul is saying here is that this should be our goal. What if you woke up every morning with one thought on your mind? Today, I'm going to do all that I can to walk in a way that's worthy of the calling? What if that was the one thought on your mind? What if that was the number one goal that you lived with on a daily basis and it was always at the forefront of your mind? Would it change the way you live? Would it change the kind of decisions that you make? Would it change the priorities that you have if that was your number one goal in Ephesians 4 and verse 1? If we're going to maintain unity in the church... We have to all work towards this same goal. We have to all live this same lifestyle, striving to be worthy, deserving of the calling to which we've been called. If I'm walking in a way that's worthy of the calling, and you're walking in a way that's unworthy, or if you're walking in a way that's worthy, and I'm walking in a way that's unworthy, it's going to be very difficult for us to be in unity with one another. It's like what we said in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. He says, if we walk in the light as He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' His Son cleanses us from all sin. Oftentimes, we only focus on the, the last part of that verse. Jesus cleanses me of my sin. But I think what, Paul, what John says right before that is very significant. That when I'm walking in the light and you're walking in the light, when we're working towards the same goal, when we're living the same kind of lifestyle, following after Jesus, striving to be worthy of the calling, what do we have? We have fellowship with one another. Like we said, if I'm walking in the light and you're walking in darkness, or you're walking in darkness and I'm walking in the light, it's going to be very difficult for us to have unity with one another. But when we're united in the same goal, when we're united in the same purpose, we're going to be able to maintain the unity that God has established in His church. It's like a football team or a basketball team. If they're not all working towards the same goal, they're probably not going to win the game. They're probably not going to be victorious in the contest, and the same is true in the church. We have to work towards the same goal. We have to be intent on the same purpose, living the same lifestyle, being worthy of the calling to which we've been called. 
So that's the first idea on the next slide. If we're going to have unity in action, we have to walk worthy. Number two, if we're going to have unity in action, then we have to also, in verse two, have proper attitudes towards one another. That's an interesting internal-external idea there. Paul says if we're going to maintain this unity, then we have to walk worthy on the outside, and we have to have the proper attitudes on the inside. That if I'm going to be one with you, and if you're going to be one with me, there are some attitudes that I need to develop. Paul gives us four of those in verse number two. The first one that Paul mentions, if we'll click on this slide, is humility. What is humility? Humility is being humble. It's the opposite of being arrogant, boastful, or prideful. Whenever I'm a person of humility, I love the way Paul describes it in Philippians 2, verses 1-4. through 4. If you want to go study this later this week, what Paul basically says about humility is I think less about myself and I think more about other people. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, humility is not thinking of myself more highly than I ought to think. In other words, it's not getting the big head, but thinking with sober judgment, realistic judgment, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Well, why is that so important if we're going to maintain unity with one another? If I only think about myself, if I never think about you, if I only look out for me and I look down on you and I think I'm better than you and I'm never looking out for your needs or interests, well, it's going to be very difficult for us to be in unity with one another for a number of different reasons. First, if, if I'm prideful and I'm arrogant, you're not going to want to be in unity with me. And if I'm prideful and arrogant, if I'm looking down on you, if I think I'm better than you, I'm holier than you, I'm closer to God than you are, then I'm not going to want to be in unity with you. I'm not going to be, want to be on the same level as you. I'm going to want to be elevated above you. And so Paul says if we're going to have unity, if we're going to maintain unity with one another, first we have to have humility. Number two, he says we have also have to have gentleness. What does it mean to be gentle? If you want to picture it, I don't know if any of you have like expensive china at home. No, my grandmother does. We, we, we never eat on it. We just keep it in the cabinet. And I think the reason for that is it's expensive, right? It, it's worth something. If you were to take a piece of china out of that china cabinet and walk around with it, you're going to be what? Gentle. Because it's fragile. And if you break it, you're going to get in trouble. It's like holding a newborn baby. You're not going to take a newborn baby and swing it around by its leg and be rough with it. You're going to be gentle with it because if you're not, you're going to end up hurting it. It could end up hurting it pretty bad. Whenever I'm gentle, I'm going to think about you. Whenever I'm gentle, before I say or before I do anything, I'm going to think about your personality. I'm going to think about your feelings. I'm going to think about how it might be received. And if it's going to come across in a way that I even potentially think that it could hurt you, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to be very careful. I'm going to be very gentle. Well, why is that important when it comes to unity? Can you see why that's significant? Do you know somebody who doesn't really care what they say? They just say anything they want to say regardless of who they're talking to, and maybe they mask it by saying, well, I'm, I'm just blunt. I'm just straightforward. 
And if they don't know that about me, they, they don't need to get their feelings hurt. They're just being soft. I, I, I'm just blood. It's just the way that I am. Paul says that can't be the way that you are if you're going to maintain unity in the church. We have to be gentle with one another. We have to be careful with one another. We have to have that foresight because if I'm not gentle with you, you're not going to want to be in unity with me. And if you're not gentle with me, I'm not going to want to be in unity with you. Does that mean we hold back the truth? No, it doesn't mean we hold back the truth. Does that mean I don't go and try to bring people back who have strayed from the church? Well, no. Paul's very clear in Galatians 6 that we are to restore people, how? With a spirit of gentleness. Peter says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15 that we are to give an answer to anyone who asks for the reason of hope within us, how? With, well take your Bible and beat them over the head with it. No, with gentleness and respect. Number three, if we're going to maintain unity with one another, if we'll click one more time, we have to have patience. We have to be patient with one another. Well, what does it mean to be patient? Whenever we're patient, that means that we're willing to wait. Whenever we're patient, that means we're going to be slow to get angry, like James talks about in James chapter 1. Why is that so important to maintain unity? The reality of the matter is, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and if we spend a lot of time around each other, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to sin against you. And you're going to sin against me. We're going to say and do things to each other that we shouldn't. How should we respond in those kind of situations? Well, I'm going to get mad and I'm going to leave. I'm not going to come back ever again because this person said something to me or did something to me out of the way. Well, no, if we're going to maintain unity, we have to be patient. We have to be slow to get angry and willing to forgive whenever sin takes place. And then number four, the last attitude that Paul mentions is that we have to bear with one another in love. Do you know what it means to bear with somebody? Some translations might say enduring with one another instead of bearing with one another. If you put it in plain 21st century English, do you know what it means? Put up with each other. You might not like it. It might not be what you want to do at the time. But Paul says if we're going to maintain unity, then we have to bear with one another. We have to put up with one another. How? In a heart of bitterness? Something I'm going to do on the outside, but I don't really care to do it on the inside? No, we bear with one another in love. Why is that so important when it comes to unity? Go back to what we said a minute ago. Sometimes I'm going to sin against you and sometimes you're going to sin against me. Or maybe it's not even about sin. Have you ever seen personalities clash in the church? And that causes difficulty sometimes? Or somebody tells a joke and the person didn't take it like a joke and it ended up hurting their feelings? What do we do in those situations? We put up with each other. We bear with one another. We endure with one another. Not saying, I wish I didn't have to do this. I don't really like, I don't really care about this person. Paul says we bear with one another in love. When you take a minute to look at that list, which one of those is your weakest point? When you look at humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and you think about how you interact with your brothers and sisters in Christ, which one of those is your weakest point? And how can we do a better job with it? So going over to the next slide, if we're going to maintain unity with one another, we have to have unity in action. 
We have to walk worthy, verse 1, on the outside. We have to have proper attitudes towards one another on the inside in verse 2. And then number 3, if we're going to maintain unity in the church, we have to work for it. It's going to require us to put in some effort. Remember, we don't create unity. We don't establish that. God does. In verse 3, Paul talks about the unity of the Spirit. In other words, it's the unity that comes from the Spirit. That finds its source in the Spirit. God's Spirit dwells in me. God's Spirit dwells in you. What does that mean? God has created unity between us. What kind of characteristic is supposed to define that unity? Paul says it's the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's been a couple different times. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul links the idea of unity with peace. Look at verse 14. This is Ephesians 2. For He Himself is our what? Peace, who has made us both one. Unity. And then verse 15, it reverses it. Reverses order. About midway through the verse. That He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two. What is that? Unity. And then look at the next phrase. So making peace. So we've seen these two ideas put together already in the book of Ephesians. It comes back in verse 3. We have this unity that comes from the Spirit that's supposed to be defined by peace. Well, what do we do with that unity? What's our responsibility? Paul says, you have to be eager to maintain it. You know what the word eager means? It means to be excited, to be diligent. Whenever you're eager about something, that means you're willing to do anything that you can to reach the goal that's set ahead of you. So Paul says we have this unity that comes from the Spirit. This unity that's supposed to be defined by peace. How should we respond to that? What should we do with it? We should be eager. We should be diligent. We should be willing to do anything that we can to maintain that unity that has been established in the Spirit. You have that kind of attitude when it comes to the church? You have that kind of eagerness, that kind of diligence to say, I'm willing to do anything that I can, anything humanly possible, to maintain unity with my brothers and sisters as long as it's in accord with what God desires in Scripture. Sometimes this can be discouraging. Whenever you're doing all that you can to maintain unity and maybe another person isn't, it's easy to become discouraged. It's also really easy to push this off on somebody else to deflect the responsibility. Well, I'm, I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to let somebody else be concerned with that. I'm going to let somebody else be eager and do all they can to have unity with me. I've done this for 30, 40 years. I've been a Christian for 30 or 40 years. It's time for somebody else to be eager about this unity. And Paul says it's not about looking at other people. It's not about pointing to somebody else. It's about you looking at you and me looking at me. Having some honest reflection and saying, am I willing to do anything that I can to maintain the unity that has been established in the Spirit. A unity that's supposed to be defined by peace, not fighting, not bickering, not backbiting, not gossip, but peace. On the next slide, maybe you've heard this phrase before, anything in life worth having is worth working for. That's true in a lot of different areas. It's true when it comes to our unity. It's worth having. 
And so each one of us individually have to work for it. It's going to require us to roll up our sleeves and go to work. Sometimes it's not going to be easy, but it's always going to be worth it. On the next slide, it's the best thing in the world to be a Christian, isn't it? To be a member of the church that belongs to Jesus. Where we're not only able to read about this unity in Ephesians 4, but but we're able to experience it. We're able to live in this unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. On the next slide, we're to have unity in action. Well, how do we do it? Paul says we each have to walk worthy. Is that the kind of life that you're living? Is that your goal on a daily basis? Today, I'm going to walk worthy of the calling to which I've been called. We have to have proper attitudes towards one another. When you look at that list, humility, gentleness, Bearing with one another in love, patience. Which one of those is your weakest spot? And how can you make it a strength? And then number three, we have to work for it. Are you willing to roll up your sleeves and do the work that needs to be done to maintain unity in the body of Christ? It's a beautiful thing to live within this unity, but we each have to be willing to work for it. Are you a part of that unity tonight? If you're not a Christian, if you've never been baptized into Jesus, or maybe you've walked away from that unity. Maybe you're struggling with something that we've talked about tonight, something that you can see on the screen. We would love to help you in any way that we can as together we stand and sing. Kneel at the cross, Christ will meet you there. He intercedes for you. Lift up your voice, leave with him your care, and begin life of.